Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. podcast that looks at how words change over time. If you love the show, you can become a contributor at patreon.com slash words for granted. For just a buck a month, which is less than what we all pay for a bad cup of coffee, you'll gain access to contributors only bonus episodes. The latest bonus episode explores the etymology of a few American English governmental words. Here's an excerpt of what the contributors are listening to. The earliest usage of president as an English word dates back to the 15th century. It comes from the Latin presidere, meaning to sit before, and it's cognate with the verb to preside. At this early point in the word's history, it referred to a chairman or a foreman, someone who oversaw a group of people. The heads of universities, which today we call deans, were originally called presidents, and occasionally, the head of an overseas colony was called a president too. For example, in 1608, the colony of Virginia was run by President John Smith. Of course, we still use president in similar senses today. For example, a company might have a president of the board. However, none of these usages of the term are suggestive of the dignity or power of the title for a ruler of a nation. But that was kind of the point. Okay, if you contribute a little bit more, I'll even send you your own Words for Granted mug. If Patreon's not your thing, but you'd still like to help keep this show on the road, you can make a one-time donation at paypal.me slash wordsforgranted. Thanks to Jason for his recent contribution. And with that, let's get on to today's episode, part five in a series on American English. For the first time in this American English series, we'll be returning to the traditional format of the show where we analyze the evolution of a single word over time. That word is Yankee. Today, the most popular usage of the word Yankee is probably in the name of the Yankees, the MLB baseball team from New York City. However, the word Yankee predates the word baseball by nearly 150 years, and the Yankees have very little to do with our overall story. However, I will close things out at the end of this episode with the anecdote of how the Yankees got their somewhat inappropriate name. So, outside of the context of baseball, what is a Yankee? I'm sure many of you have an idea what a Yankee is, but the word's precise meaning has varied a lot over the last three centuries. In the mid-20th century, the American writer E.B. White observed the ambiguity of the word and wrote, quote, To foreigners, a Yankee is an American. To Americans, a Yankee is a Northerner. To Northerners, a Yankee is an Easterner. To Easterners, a Yankee is a New Englander. To New Englanders, a Yankee is a Vermonter. And in Vermont, 
A Yankee is someone who eats pie for breakfast. End quote. As it turns out, White's quip actually mirrors how the dictionary still defines Yankee today. According to Merriam-Webster, a Yankee is, one, a resident of New England, two, a resident of the Northern American states, or three, a resident of the United States. These definitions lack any context or elaboration, so I don't find them particularly useful. I found similar definitions in other popular dictionaries, so I suppose it's no fault of Merriam-Webster per se. The reality is that a dictionary can only give us so much context about a word's usage. As I've mentioned on this podcast before, I was born and raised in the state of New Jersey, so according to Merriam-Webster's second and third definitions of Yankee, I am a Yankee. But the reality is that I, in no way, shape, or form, identify as a Yankee. As someone who came of age in a northern state during the 1990s, my understanding of the word Yankee was that it's someone native to New England, but the word always had a historical connotation to me, referring to pre-20th century America. I suppose I might use the word to describe someone whose family heritage in New England predates the 20th century, but I wouldn't call that person themselves a Yankee in 2019. To be honest, I don't think I've ever used the term Yankee in earnest in my life, and the actual likelihood of that hypothetical situation is quite low. Two of my best friends were born and raised in New England, and when I asked them if they identified as Yankees, they both said no, but one of them said my mom might. To give you context here, both of my friends are in their early 30s, and the mom is in her 70s. I think that this illustrates that Yankee as a regional identity is largely an archaism whose contemporary currency is on its way out. If any listeners out there have any thoughts on this, perhaps thoughts that don't agree with mine, send me an email at wordsforgranted at gmail.com and I'll discuss them in a future episode. On the flip side, as E.B. White's quote implies, the definition of who is a Yankee depends on who you ask. Just because someone who was born and raised in New England today might not identify as a Yankee doesn't mean that they wouldn't be identified as a Yankee by someone from the South. At least according to textbook definitions. Most of the literature written about the etymology of Yankee, or the word Yankee in general, claims that the term is still in use by Southerners to describe people from northern states. I was a little suspicious of this claim, so in the absence of any academic research analyzing the Southern American usage of Yankee in the 21st century, I decided to do a bit of unacademic research of my own. On my personal Facebook, I posted a status that asked, quote, Friends born and raised in the South, or anyone who has affiliations with the South, I have a question for you. Did you grow up hearing people refer to Northerners as Yankees in earnest and on a regular basis? Like, if you were talking to your family about your friends from Massachusetts, would your uncle intuitively call them Yankees? It seems like such an archaism to me, but maybe I'm wrong. If I am, tell me and tell me more. End quote. 20 or so people ranging in age from their early 20s to their mid-50s commented on the status, and the responses generally fell into two categories, yes and no, with no being the more predominant category by about 50%. Some of the people who said, no, I didn't hear the word Yankee a lot, 
offered the caveat that when they did hear it, it usually was used in jest. They also said that when they did hear it in earnest, it usually came from older generations. This leaning toward older generations would explain why my New England friend's mom, who was in her 70s, might also identify as a Yankee. Furthermore, the people who said, yes, I did hear the word Yankee, were generally on the older end of the age spectrum. Again, if anyone listening has anything they'd like to say on this topic reflecting their own first-hand experiences, please send me an email for discussion. However, I think it's safe to say that in general, much like the self-identification of Yankees in the North, the Southern identification of Northerners as Yankees was more prominent in older generations, and it's on the decline. Now that we've discussed the contemporary usages of the word, let's unravel the story of where this word comes from and its various usages in the past. The first usage of the word Yankee in its current form is attributed to the British general James Wolfe. In a 1758 correspondence, he refers to a group of soldiers from New England as Yankees. But where did the word come from? Certainly he didn't invent it. His casual usage of the word lacks any explanation or exposition, which implies that there would have been familiarity with the term among his contemporaries. The earliest proposed etymology of Yankee derives it from a Native American Cherokee word, Iyanke, meaning coward. However, no such word ever existed, and by no coincidence, this etymology was suggested by a British officer fighting against colonial Americans during the Revolutionary War. It's good wartime propaganda to portray your enemies as cowards. Another proposed Native American etymology derives Yankee from a Wyandot or Algonquin corruption of the word English, but this etymology also has no substantial basis. Yet another false etymology that was popular during the 19th century claimed that there was a Native American tribe called the Yankus who were defeated by New Englanders, and after their defeat, the Yankus deferentially transferred their name to their conquerors. However, there is virtually no evidence to suggest that there ever was an indigenous tribe called the Yankus. Although there is still no universal consensus on the word's etymology, the majority of linguists derive Yankee from Dutch, which gives us a few possible lines of derivation. One possibility is that Yankee is an anglicization of Yankee, the diminutive form of the Dutch name Jan. Yankee is cognate with the English name Johnny, which is a diminutive form of the name John. I should note that in writing, the first letter of Yankee is not a Y, but a J, and that's because in Dutch, the letter J has a soft Y sound. The way the name is written shows how it's etymologically connected to Johnny, and the way it's pronounced explains how it is potentially cognate with the anglicized version Yankee. Interestingly, the word Yankee, spelled Y-A-N-K-Y, appears in the English written record during the 1680s, almost a hundred years before Y-A-N-K-E-E, -E, and it's used as a nickname for the notorious Dutch pirate Jan Willems, who was active in the Caribbean at the time. Although this word Yankee, with a Y at the end, is certainly derived from Yankee, it doesn't necessarily make it cognate with Yankee with EE at the end. At the very least, it does indicate an early tendency of English speakers to anglicize the informal Dutch name Yankee as Yankee. 
Another possibility is that Yankee derives from a combination of the Dutch names Jan and Kees. Like English names John Paul or John Mark, these two first names often appear together as a single name, Jan Kees, which in English would be John Cornelius. Yet another possibility is that it comes from the very similar sounding name Jan Kaas, which literally means John Cheese. The Century Dictionary Encyclopedia observes a trend in European languages whereby, quote, it is common to name a droll fellow, regarded as typical of his country, after some favorite article of food, as the English Jack Pudding, the German Hanswurst, Jack Sausage, and the French Jean Farine, Jack Flour. Though Jan Kass isn't listed in the original entry, it perfectly fits this formula. Even if we assume that one of these Dutch etymologies is correct, which, by the way, I personally do, there's still one obvious question that remains unanswered. What are the historical circumstances under which American English would adapt a Dutch name to refer to British inhabitants of New England? We'll have an answer to that question after a word from our sponsor. If you're like me, you love reading nonfiction, but the list of books you'd like to read is impossibly long. There aren't enough hours in the day or days in a lifetime to read the number of books that I'd like to read. Well, Blinkist has created an app to solve this very problem. Blinkist has distilled thousands of nonfiction titles down to their most essential elements so you can read or listen to them in around 15 minutes right from your phone. You can listen to the titles on Blinkist just like you would listen to a podcast, anytime, anywhere. Blinkist is constantly curating and adding new titles from best of lists so you're always getting new summaries of the most powerful ideas in a made-for-mobile format. Whether you want to catch the gist of a classic like Think and Grow Rich or a current bestseller like Fire and Fury, I'm sure Blinkist will have something for you. I personally would recommend The Silk Roads, A New History of the World by Peter Frankopan. In just around 20 minutes, you'll gain a new perspective on the global importance of the Middle East from prehistory to modern times. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience here at Words for Granted. Go to Blinkist.com words to start your free seven-day trial. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com words to start your seven-day free trial. Blinkist.com words. Okay, so what are the historical circumstances under which American English would adapt a Dutch name to refer to British inhabitants of New England? This is a two-part question, so one thing at a time. First, recall that early European settlements in North America were not solely English. There were also French, Spanish, Swedish, and Dutch settlements, and coincidentally, the 17th century Dutch colony of New Netherlands, which comprised parts of modern New Jersey, New York City, Delaware, and western Connecticut, was directly south of the British colony of New England. This put the English and Dutch in direct contact for several decades, and it's during this period that the word Yankee probably emerged. As for the second part of the question, how did this Dutch term come to refer to British colonists in New England, the prevailing theory holds that Yankee was originally a term of disparagement used by colonial New Englanders against their Dutch neighbors in New Netherlands. Then, the Dutch reversed the insult and began using it as a term of disparagement against British New Englanders.
By the first time we get a glimpse of the word in the written record in General James Wolfe's correspondence in 1758, this is the sense in use. Remember that General James Wolfe was not a colonist, but a British general sent to America from the homeland to fight against the British colonists. Yankee had been transferred as a word of disparagement used by the Dutch against the British colonists in New England to a word of disparagement used by the British against British colonists in general, and then eventually revolutionary British colonists. Somewhere along the way of these transmissions, American colonists, particularly revolutionary New Englanders, embraced the term as a term of self-identity. Even at this early point in the word's history, we can see that the definition and connotation of the word Yankee depends on who you ask. The written record attests many derogatory usages of the term by British loyalists against American revolutionaries, such as a famous political cartoon entitled Yankee Doodle Dandy, printed in Boston. Of course, Yankee Doodle is also the name of a traditional American song that still lives on today. It's something that all American kids pick up through cultural diffusion, though the historical and political context of the song often goes unexplained. In fact, without any context, the small sliver of the song that everyone knows is pretty nonsensical and borderline psychedelic. I say small sliver of the song because even though most people know the first verse of Yankee Doodle, the full song has a whopping 17 verses. For my non-American listeners who might not know, the first and most popular verse of the song Yankee Doodle goes, <clears throat> Yankee Doodle went to town riding on a pony. He stuck a feather in his cap and called it macaroni. Yes, thank you, thank you. Um, <laughs> this verse began as a folk song sung among British troops intended to mock the Yankee colonists they were fighting against. The idea conveyed here is that the Yankees are dumb and unstylish. The word doodle is believed to be derived from doodle, a German word meaning fool or simpleton, and in the 18th century, the word macaroni was used to describe a man who was overly fashionable and effeminate. This usage derived from a contemporary style of wig called the macaroni wig. At some point during the Revolutionary War, some suggest after the American colonial defeat of the British at the Battle of Concord and Lexington, Americans began singing the song as a defiant source of pride. Although they left that first Yankee Doodle Dandy verse intact, most of the lyrics were rewritten mocking the British and praising American figures such as George Washington. Here's an example of an original pro-British verse that has since been removed from the song, and no, I'm not going to sing it this time. Quote, Yankee Doodle came to town for to buy a firelock. We will tar and feather him, and so we will John Hancock. End quote. After the Americans reclaimed the song, it's believed that the word doodle, again originally used as an insult for a dumb person, would go on to produce the word dude. Today, the full song is the official song of the state of Connecticut. By the time the American Civil War was getting underway, the term Yankee had gained new political vitriol. It was used by the southern states, or the Confederacy, to refer to inhabitants of and soldiers from the northern states, or the Union. As we all know, the South lost the war and the Yankees prevailed. In 1966, just over a hundred years after the Civil War, Senator J. William Fulbright of Arkansas said, quote, 
The very word Yankee still wakens in Southern minds historical memories of defeat and humiliation, of the burning of Atlanta and Sherman's march to the sea, or of an ancestral farmhouse burned by Quantrill's raiders. End quote. One hundred years may seem like a long time, but it's very likely that Fulbright's own grandparents fought in that war. This would have given Southerners in Fulbright's generation a direct connection to the Confederacy's loss, connections that, in 2019, 150 years and six generations removed from the war, have been lost. With the decline of this intimate connection has also come the general decline of the term Yankee as a Southern term of derision made in earnest. And now, for the question you've all been waiting for, or at least those from New York and northern New Jersey, how did the Yankees baseball team get its name? In the early 1900s, the Yankees were known as the Highlanders. This was a geographically inspired name, because they played at a place called Hilltop Park, which was built on one of the highest points on the island of Manhattan. However, in 1913, the team's playing field was relocated to Polo Grounds, which was located along the Harlem River, and the name Highlander no longer applied. Shortly after this move, the Yankees became the baseball team's new official name. But why? Well, a New York journalist named Jim Price had been calling the Highlanders by the nickname Yankees for several years because they played further north than their rival team, the New York Giants. Coincidentally, this was another geographically inspired nickname. Price used this nickname not only as a reference to the North-South rivalry of the Civil War, but also because it was a shorter word than Highlanders and thus easier to squeeze into newspaper headlines. At the beginning of this episode, when I said that the naming of the Yankees was slightly inappropriate, it's not only because the Yankees aren't from New England, but also because I question the cultural insensitivity of casually tacking a wartime term of derision onto a baseball team that had nothing to do with it. All right, that's it for this one. If you love the show, again, you can make a contribution at patreon.com slash words for granted. If that's not in your budget, you can still show your support by leaving a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or on your podcatcher of choice, or by telling a friend. My Twitter handle is at Words for Granted. I'm on Facebook as Words for Granted. And you can email me directly with questions, comments, and concerns at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. Have a great day. We'll talk soon. University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.